Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey, so before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about a podcast that I'm pretty sure you're going to like that is called Bad Women, hosted by historian Hallie Rubenhold. And if you're like, I recognize that name, that's because I recommended her book a few episodes ago. She wrote a book called The Five that was about five of the women who were killed by Jack the Ripper. And her podcast, Bad Women, expands on the same stuff that she talks about in her book. So on Bad Women... Historian Halle Rubenhold uncovers the real lives of Jack the Ripper's victims, revealing the discrimination that put them in his path, the same sort of misogyny women still face today. This show challenges established theories about the murders, causing many supposed Ripper experts to see red. Find Bad Women wherever you get your podcasts. Like where you're listening to this, you can find Bad Women that same place. Hello and welcome to a super special Halloween episode of Vulgar History, a feminist women's history comedy podcast hosted by me, Anne Foster. And so we're going to be having three Halloween episodes leading up to Halloween itself. And when I was looking to try and figure out what would be good topics for this, who were not people we'd already done, like maybe re-listen to the Elizabeth Bathory episode because that's pretty Halloween-y, I was looking at... um, well, just women who had been accused of being witches for a start. And so many of these stories are like not not the sort of stuff we do in this podcast, really. They're not, they're just sad. It's just women who mostly for like property reasons were accused of being witches and then they were executed and it's all depressing. So that's not what I felt like doing. For this podcast and then when i was looking through to see there's this really good book that is called royal witches witchcraft and nobility in 15th century england by Gemma holman which i'll link to in our bookshop page which reminded me about how many women circa the cousins war aka war of the roses era were accused of being witches and that brought me to the fact that i haven't done an episode about Elizabeth Woodville, and so that's who we're going to talk about today. She's a woman who was maybe, you know what, like, maybe she was a witch, maybe she wasn't a witch. If you watched the White Queen, the Stars miniseries, and or, like, read the book The White Queen by Philippa Gregory, then you'd be like, oh yeah, she was literally a witch, she did magic. Um, Because Philippa Gregory, that's what's so great about Philippa Gregory stuff, she just finds every rumor ever written about anybody and then writes a story as though all of that really happened and maybe it did anyway elizabeth woodville was rumors were that she was a witch because reasons we'll get into but her story does not end with her being persecuted and executed and in terms of this podcast that's as close as we ever get to a happy ending really so um i also looked at i just mentioned philippa gregory she wrote or she co-wrote a nonfiction book called Women of the Cousins' War. And there's a part in that about Elizabeth Woodville as well. 
I also got some info from Wikipedia because this is, well, Elizabeth is a much more well-known figure than we often look at on this podcast, and it's great. I didn't have to dig so much to find out some information about her. So off we go. Elizabeth Woodville. So we don't really know when she was born because it was in the 15th century in England and she was a girl and slash just like a person. She was not a king. Like people just didn't care about astrology in the same way then. We don't know when she was born, but probably around 1437. She was the eldest child of a very exciting and controversial couple who were Sir Richard Woodville, who was just like a normal guy, a knight, but not like a royal and her mother was Jaquetta of Luxembourg, who was, we're going to talk about Jaquetta because you can't talk about Elizabeth without getting into what her mother's deal was. So Elizabeth's father, Richard, his family was wealthy, but commoners. And when he married Jaquetta, it became a scandal because she was Jaquetta of Luxembourg, was the daughter of Peter I of Luxembourg and his wife, Margaret of Bau. Their family, the of Luxembourg family claimed legendary descent from the water deity Melusine through their ancestor Siegfried of Luxembourg, who had been alive like 500 years before. I'm going to talk more about Melusine, the legendary water deity, in a bit, but this is where some of the witch stuff comes from, because Jaquetta's family claimed to be descended from a kind of mermaid witch goddess. Again, we'll get into that in a bit. So Jaquetta of Luxembourg, was married for the first time when she was 17 years old, and her husband was John of Lancaster, the first Duke of Bedford, who was the third son of Henry IV of England and Mary de Bohun. So Jaquetta became the, what would it be, the niece-in-law of the English king? He, they, the marriage was only two years long. They had no children. He died, so she was a hot, sexy widow age. 19. And so let's see, at this point, the English king was like, okay, well, let's send her. I'm not sure where she was living, but it's like, let's send her back to England. Maybe they were in Luxembourg or France. I'm not sure. Maybe France. Anyway, basically, Jaquetta was not there. She was a widow and she was the king's niece in law. And so the king sent, actually, it looks like the king's changed by the time of the course of this marriage. Was it another Henry? What you need to know is that Jaquetta was sent to England and the king sent to escort her Richard Woodville, who was this kind of trusted knight. And wouldn't you know it, these two people fell in love during the journey, during the journey across from wherever they were to England. They fell in love and got super secret sexy married without seeking the king's permission because they were just like, this is it. This is happening. One might say, did Jaquetta cast a spell on him? I don't know. It would almost be the reverse because this is like a step down for her, really. Anyway, uh, when the king learned of the marriage, he refused to see them, but then they paid a fine of 1,000 pounds and then he agreed to see them again, I guess. Their marriage between Jaquetta and Richard started on this scandalous note and then it lasted a long time and they had a lot of children. In fact, they had 14 children. And again, the oldest of them was Elizabeth Woodville, which is who we're talking about today who was born maybe 1437 or so. We don't know much about Elizabeth's childhood, but her family were in a very powerful position throughout her youth, so she was probably 
quite well off because Richard Woodville's family was wealthy, if common. And then Jaquetta was, you know, a water witch slash royal. Um, Jaquetta outranked all ladies at royal court with the exception of the queen because of her lineage from Luxembourg. She's also a personal favorite of the king and queen, and so she enjoyed special privileges and influence at court. So again, Elizabeth probably had a pretty good privileged upbringing. When Elizabeth was around 15 years old, she married a man named Sir John Gray. They had two sons together. Here's what's interesting. So Sir John Gray and Elizabeth Woodville had these sons, and then those sons, like the Gray name, I think it's through them. But anyway, this is where the Jane Gray last name comes from, because Francis, remember? Francis Gray from the other season of this podcast. Anyway, this is where the Greys come from. So Sir John Gray was killed in a War of the Roses related battle because this is the time when there's the Lancasters, there's the Yorks, they're fighting. I'm not going to explain all of that because that's not... I'll explain the stuff you need to know about it. But basically there's this civil war. It's the Cousins War because they're all descendants of the same person. And it's like, who will be the king? Will it be the Lancasters or will it be the Yorks? And that's where the names come from on Game of Thrones. The Lannisters and the Starks. But, I mean, what this means to Elizabeth at the time is just kind of like she has two sons and now she is a widow and she is 24 years old. And then about three years later... She secretly married King Edward IV, which is like, how did that happen? And that's what we're going to look at because nobody really knows how that happened, which is the good thing, or I guess a thing about secret marriages in the 15th century. Uh, No one really writes very good records of what happens because it was a secret and time has passed and they're good at keeping secrets. So this is a theory of what might have happened. Um... This is from me looking at some theories, and then I kind of put together the most dramatic ones to make it Philippa Gregory style. But honestly, like knowing the people involved, the era, I think this is probably pretty similar to what happened. So Elizabeth's husband, John Gray, died in 1461, and he had been fighting for the Lancasters against the Yorks, and then this meant that the Yorks, who were more in control at the time, took away the dower lands that Elizabeth should have inherited as his widow. So she was now, because he died on the wrong side of the battle, they took away those lands, which we've seen happen to so many other women. You know, it's like, just because your husband did something, then you are screwed over. So this left her homeless and her sons without any inheritance. So again, 24-year-old widow, single mother, who was... Also, apparently, like, very good-looking. If you look at portraits of her, I mean, based on... The portraits of her are sort of, like, in between those sort of portraits from Fredegund era, where it's just, like, very sort of, like, this is kind of what the person might have looked like, but they're very sort of, like, interpretive. But this is pre the portraits from like Henry the Eighth time when they look almost photorealistic. So the pictures of Elizabeth, she kind of looks like uh, Elsa from Frozen. She's got very exaggerated features. She has very big eyes and a very little chin, and she's very pretty. 
But clearly she was both beautiful and charismatic. Or maybe, you know, the sort of charismatic where, like, who cares what you look like? In So in the Wikipedia article, it says that she, somebody said that she had heavy-lidded eyes like a dragon. But that's cited to a book from 2009. And so I'm not sure. I Like, clearly nobody at the time. I don't know. Maybe they did say so she had heavy-lidded eyes like a dragon. But it's sort of a Cleopatra thing where she got so much influence people are like well it must be because she was really sexy because otherwise why would men do what she said because she couldn't have been like competent and persuasive or was she a witch so anyway she's 24 years old two young sons homeless so like so many millennials today she moved back home with her parents because there was literally nowhere else for her to go but she had a plan to try and one-on-one convince the king to restore her land and her son's inheritance. And her plan seemed to rest entirely on her powers of persuasion slash maybe beauty slash witch powers. Just a stunning amount of self-confidence. However, she thought, like, if I just explain this to the king, like, he will listen to me. So she took her two young sons with her and went to sit under a tree where she knew that King Edward would be passing by. And this is King Edward... This is like hot young King Edward. He was young, handsome, single. I said handsome, but just like he, he was a hot young king. If you watch the white, the white queen on the stars, he's played by Max Irons. And so ever since then, I'm just like hot young King Edward. So he came by on his horse, just as she had thought, or because how she had made him with her witch powers. And so she's just like, oh, hey, I'm just like this lady under a tree. She like waved him over and he was like immediately apparently entranced by her i don't know maybe it was just entranced by the fact that by this like wild plan she had to just like wave him down under a tree but apparently he fell instantly in love with her because she was amazing which she was and he was like i want you to become my mistress like they just met and she was like "Eh, i want you to restore my land and my son's inheritance and then he was like well what if you marry me and she was like okay because then she'd have a home to live in and money According to the various stories about this legendary meeting, part of this might have involved one of or the other tried to stab the other one. So it was her plan to like threaten him with a knife. But something happened under this tree and Elizabeth Woodville emerged as the fiance of hot young King Edward. And this was notable and rule busting in several crucial ways. So number one, she was English slash her mother was from Luxembourg, but she herself is English. And the King of England had never married an English woman before because the point of marriages for kings was to cement alliances between different countries. That's why the queens were always from Aquitaine or France or other places. So she's the first ever English woman to marry the king. I feel like, ooh, I don't, I didn't write this down, but it was something like there wasn't another English woman who married the king until... I want to say Anne Boleyn, something like that. And after that, not until like... Anyway, it's notable because this is a very rare thing to happen. The other important rule-busting thing is she was not royal. Like her mother was sort of royal adjacent in the sense of Luxembourg, but she was a Woodville and the Woodvilles are technically commoners. And then they got super secret, sexy married, just like her parents had. And this was also a huge change from normal because usually like 
you know, the entourage comes, the like teenage girl comes from some other country and there's this huge thing, but royal marriages were usually celebrated with huge parades and tournaments and hundreds of guests. And one of the reasons, you know, it's exciting, a wedding, it's a good time, but also you wanted to make a big deal of it so that there was no doubt that like this marriage had happened. So nobody could call into question the legality of it. And we're going to see what happens when you are a king and have a secret sexy marriage. In fact, hot Edward and Elizabeth only had four guests at their tiny ceremony, her mother, Jaquetta, two ladies' maids, and the priest who married them. And none of them were about to tell anyone what happened because this was sort of treason adjacent. There is also the concept that potentially Edward wanted to have sex with Elizabeth, and so he pretended to marry her so they would have sex to trick her, which was also the plotline in an episode of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air one time. But... I don't know. Like, if Jaquetta was at the wedding, I don't think she would have let it be a fake wedding. Although maybe she would have, because she was... She would have known the benefit of having a daughter who was the king's mistress. So the whole thing is kind of, like, shrouded in what was this? They met under a tree, and then they got married. Her mom was there, but, like... Does that mean it was a legitimate marriage? Although this was an era where I think two people could just, like, clasp hands in a field and be like, we're married, and then they are. Like, the whole witnesses thing. Like, this gets... It's Catherine Gray vibes. So, they were secretly married. Maybe. And Edward didn't tell anyone for months and months. So they were like... This is such a reverse of usually it's like they got married and they didn't tell Queen Elizabeth for months and months because they knew she would be bad. But this is like literally the king himself has a secret wife. Like, I love this. I love the secrecy. I mean, for scandaliciousness, this is pretty juicy. How did they hide it? Like, anyway. Um, so Edward, he's off being the hot king. And his advisor, Lord Warwick, who you might remember from the episode about Margaret of Anjou, that same guy... Just always here to ruin everyone's good time. So Lord Warwick was busy trying to sort out a marriage alliance to a French princess because he thought he had this young king and it's like, this is a great way to like ally with another country. And Warwick is just like, mm, how about her? How about her? And Edward's like, uh, I'm not feeling it. And he, but he would never say like, because I'm already married. But eventually he was like, Warwick, I can't marry a French princess because I'm already married to an English woman who is maybe a witch. And Lord Warwick was so mad so mad he was so mad about the secret marriage that he turned against him like he was his most loyal whatever turned against him never forgave him switched teams um but now the secret was out in the open and so elizabeth woodville became known as his wife and she was crowned queen of england may 26 1465 so the king's mother hot edward's mother is a woman called Cecily Neville, who, again, like, I watched, like, the White Queen, I keep bringing it up because it was my first exposure to this story in general. So I really just codified what the actors look like in that to who the real-life people were. And the woman who played Cecily Neville has these incredible hats. So whenever I think of Cecily Neville, I just think, like, huge, like, hats, horns on them, like, giant veils, like, She's a pretty cool person, and I'll probably do an episode about her one time. Cecily Neville. Always has a soft spot in my heart because her name is Cecily among, like, three centuries of English history where every woman is called Elizabeth or Catherine. She's just like, oh, hey, I'm Cecily. No big deal. So, Cecily, 
suspicious, hated Elizabeth because um, Elizabeth was technically a commoner and Cecily hadn't gone to choose her son's wife. So this whole thing of Edward choosing his own wife was like monumental. Like everyone was just like, choose your own wife. Marry for love? Like, what is this? Like, it just confused and made everybody mad. So Elizabeth had at least two major, like, very powerful and ruthless enemies, Cecily and Warwick. And so wouldn't you know it, rumors started flying around that she was maybe a witch or something. You know, she was descended from Melusine. So... Well, and the whole thing, people were like, it would just threw everybody off. Like, the fact that, like, the king, all of it, like, that he got married without telling anyone, that he got married without permission, he married an English woman who was a widow, who had children, like, and everyone was like, well, I guess it must be that she's a witch, and she tricked him somehow, because that's the only way that they could make this make sense. And here's where we'll talk a bit about her alleged ancestor, Melusine. Oh, also, FYI. Her mother, Jacetta, was at one point, like, formally charged with witchcraft, but she was found not guilty. So, witchcraft. I think people just threw around at this time to just be like, mm, this is a way to, like, maybe get a woman in trouble. But Melusine, or Melusina, is a figure of European folklore, a female spirit of fresh water in a holy well or river. She is usually depicted as a woman who is a serpent or a fish from the waist down, like a mermaid. She's sometimes illustrated with wings, two tails, or both. Her legends, legends of Melusine, are especially connected with the northern and western areas of France, Luxembourg, and the Low Countries. So, she's just like a legendary character in like folklore history. One of the many stories about her is that Melusine was herself the daughter of the fairy Presine and King Elenas of Albany, now Scotland. Melusine's mother, a fairy, leaves her husband, the Scottish king, um, taking her daughters to the Isle of Avalon after he breaks an oath never to look in at her and her daughter in their bath. Okay, so this is like, you know the folk story, it's Halloween season, you know the one where it's like the woman with the yellow ribbon around the neck, and then it's like, don't ever take the yellow ribbon off the neck, and then when do you do, and then her head falls off? So I think it's like, um... They got married, and then she was like, just never look at me in the bath. And then in a Beauty and the Beast-like twist, you know, he can't help himself. And I guess he saw at that point that they had fish bottoms of their bodies. Uh, let's see. The same pattern appears in stories where Melusine marries a nobleman only after he makes an oath to give her privacy in the bath. Each time she leaves the nobleman after he breaks that oath. Although I like that. I like that it's not the husband is like, ah, you have a fish lower half. And he leaves. It's like, no, she's like, you broke your promise. I'm taking my children. Goodbye. So, yeah. So shape-shifting and flight on wings away from oath-breaking husbands also figure in stories about Melusine. So the dynasty that Jaquetta was a part of is the Limburg-Luxembourg dynasty, which ruled the Holy Roman Empire from 1308 to 1437, which is the year Elizabeth was born. Um, anyway. So, when they were like, ooh, is Elizabeth a witch? It's, they didn't have to reach very far to find reasons why she could be. But this, the accusations of witchcraft didn't ruin things for her because her husband loved her and it was all pretty pointless. Like, trying to act against her because her, her relatives, 
began gaining more and more influence around court because her mother was like, again, like I know I've mentioned this like so many times in so many episodes, but when I think of like a really powerful, like matriarch of a family who just like fixes things for all of their children and their extended family, like it's a Chris Jenner situation, like Jaquetta just really had so many good connections that paved the way to make things okay for Elizabeth. So yeah, Warwick scoots out to go team up with Margaret of Anjou or whatever part of the War of the Roses this is in. And Elizabeth and Edward are just like super happy together, which is rare and weird because, well, I guess there were probably other couples who were happy together, but for a king and queen to be like in love with each other is just like, ugh, what? Like that's not how it works to everybody there. So they had three daughters basically all in a row. But as we know from their descendant, Henry VIII's situation and Fredigand and other people, it's very crucial for people with tentative claims to the throne to have a son in order to continue on the dynasty when you live in a wildly patriarchal, patrilineal situation. So three daughters. I'm sure they love them, but they're just like, a son would be great because it was all pretty tentative, him being king because of the whole War of the Roses going on. So Elizabeth became pregnant with her fourth child just as Warwick came back to town in his new alliance with Margaret of Anjou to restore Henry VI to the throne. And that we talk about in the Margaret of Anjou episode, but how this affects Elizabeth. So this is kind of like a little shifting the angle to see like when Margaret of Anjou did this, how did this affect Elizabeth? So Warwick... Margaret of Anjou and Henry VI, who was the king who Edward had replaced as king. Um, when they were in town, they had they had their own powerful allies. So Edward, hot Edward, had no choice but to leave town and go into hiding. Elizabeth, pregnant, um, described as hugely pregnant, so like getting pretty close to giving birth, was left to fend for herself. So, I mean... Maybe that was the best option for both of them. I'm like really hot Edward Elizabeth apologizing here for them. But I feel like he had to leave because if he was killed, that's it. They still didn't have a son. They just had daughters. So like he had to not die. And then Elizabeth like couldn't travel with him. So I think I'm sure it was like I'm picturing like a princess bride-esque moment where they have to part. Anyway, so very pregnant Elizabeth grabbed her three daughters and went to Westminster Abbey and because there was the sanctuary thing and luckily they were not up against fredigand in this situation because the people all around her respected sanctuary so this actually worked so the thing like the sanctuary thing where if you're in a church nobody was allowed to arrest you when you were in there so it was the safest place for them to be and in fact she gave birth to her first son with edward in the church oh my god no she grabbed all her children her three daughters her two sons who she already had and then had another son Gave birth in Westminster Abbey. She named this son Edward after his dad. And an appropriate name. At this point, she didn't know if she was going to ever see her husband ever again. And if she did, I'm sure he'd be like, oh my god, you named the, son, the boy after me? It's so cute. So an epic situation of her resiliency. It took a while, but finally... Edward, he didn't just leave town and hide. Like, he left town and hid, but also, like, put together an army, etc. So he rolled back into town with his army, defeated Warwick, Margaret of Anjou, Henry VI, killing Warwick. 
he grabbed the crown back and the throne back and became king again. So it's this weird period where the king was like Henry VI, Edward, Henry VI, Edward again. So, and he got to reunite with Elizabeth and like meet his son. So, but also as much as I like ship these two, it was a time and a place and he was a king and he was not entirely faithful to Elizabeth, but that was an arrangement they're both okay with and I respect it. So she kept busy having four more children. Like this is like, remember Jaquetta had 14. Elizabeth has had, wait, let me see. The two sons, three daughters, him, and then 10. My goodness. So while she was busy being perpetually pregnant, Edward took on various mistresses and that was just kind of the status quo for a while. Like everything was chaotic and who's going to be the king? And the king is changing like every three minutes. But now it's sort of like everything's in place. Like we're the king and the queen. We have numerous children. But then suddenly, um, so that was like a couple years of like, okay, everything. But then in 1483, Edward died of pneumonia and everything went completely bananas. So the whole thing, they had the son. So the new king should have been Edward, Lil Edward. But um, as we've seen in many instances, having a little boy as king isn't the greatest option when there's power mad, ambitious schemers literally crawling out of every wall trying to take over. So because Edward was still a boy, his uncle was appointed as his lord protector because you need to have the like regent slash adult person taking charge. And Richard, who I haven't mentioned before, is... um, I mean, spoiler, Richard III is who he's going to be when he becomes the king in a few minutes. Legendary baddie, um, a person that a lot of people, a lot of men really like to say wasn't a bad guy. But again, I first encountered him in The White Queen where he was a bad guy. And if you watch Hollow Crown, which is based on the Shakespeare plays, Benedict Cumberpatch plays him. Anyway... Whether he was a good guy or a bad guy, in Elizabeth's story, he was the baddest of bad guys to her. So Richard was paranoid that the Woodvilles would try and seize power from him by making one of Elizabeth's brothers the new Lord Protector instead of him, Richard. So he arrested her brother and he arrested her son from her first marriage, who I guess was now like an adult aged person, her one of the gray sons. Elizabeth was kind of like, I don't like where this is going. So she grabbed the rest of her like Von Trapp family of children and went into hiding kind of like in Sound of Music. So Edward, her son, was still called Prince Edward because he hadn't been officially coronated yet, was sent to the Tower of London, which you're like, wait, what? The jail? But at this point, that was not a jail. That was just like a cool palace where people could go. Or, well, that's where he, anyway, Richard said, We're just going to put Prince Edward in the Tower of London for safekeeping. Don't worry about it. It's not a jail. It's just like a castle thing. But um, maybe... Anyway, we're getting to the... What are they called? The little princess in the tower or whatever. So Richard accused Elizabeth of plotting to murder him, which, fair, if I were her, that's what I'd plan to. Because the next thing he did was execute Elizabeth's son and brother, the ones who he had put in jail before. So, frankly, like, and it's, I might just be having the after effects of the three-part Fredigan series, but I'm just like, I wish she kind of had. 
you know? Um, anyway, so he accused Elizabeth of planning to murder him, which was just trying to make Elizabeth look bad. And then Richard passed an act of parliament declaring Edward, hot Edward and Elizabeth's marriage null and void because of the secret sexy nature of it. Like there wasn't witnesses, etc. And that meant that all of their children were illegitimate, which meant that he, Richard, was the one true king of England. And so this is, again, like where the secrecy, the secret sexy marriage uh, turns out to not have been the best way to do things in this era when you were the king. Because one of the reasons royals have huge party weddings is so everybody knows who's married to who. So there's no question about who did what and when. And that's why in some places you have like people who watch the the first, what's it called? The consummation. Like watch the people have sex so nobody can be like they... So there's not going to be like an annulment situation later on. But Richard, who would score very highly in scheminess were I to do an episode about him and maybe I will on so this asshole on the patreon he was like Edward had a secret pre-contract to marry some other woman who is now conveniently dead and so she can't uh confirm or deny this so this means he was never legally able to marry Elizabeth because he had this pre-contract and then he also accused Elizabeth of being a mermaid witch or whatever but then this all kind of went away because everyone is busy with all the rest of the stuff Richard was doing, which is all just kind of like evil things. So somewhere in this whole mess, Elizabeth's other son, so she had, whatever I said, 10 children, the two from the first. So she had eight children with Edward, two of whom were sons, and who's named Richard, Lil Richard. So Lil Edward and Lil Richard, for some reason, Lil Richard was also sent to hang out with Prince Edward in the Tower of London, and neither was seen again. They became known as the Princes in the Tower. And it's one of these like famous unsolved situations. Like they went into the Tower of London and were never seen again. So presumably somebody killed them. Maybe Richard. Maybe someone else. Maybe they just got consumption. But they just kind of were never seen again. And that's a whole thing. I think at some point somebody found like little boy skeletons in there. So it's like for sure they died. Like I don't think they ran off. So her two sons, her brother was killed. Her gray son was killed. Her other two sons, like, we don't know what happened to them. And Elizabeth is just like, fuck you, Richard. So she's not going to go down without a fight. But also this is where, like, if she had witch powers, I feel like she could have done something more powerful. But what she had was just supreme cleverness, self-confidence, and a lot of good allies. So she was now not the queen anymore because officially her marriage never happened. So she was now known officially as Dame Elizabeth Grey, which is, I like that because it reminds me of like Dame Judy Dench. And it's just, there's this movie called like, I think it's called The Dames. It's like Dame Maggie Smith, Dame Judy Dench. Anyway, who who's the one with the Dame Diana Rigg? Like everyone who's a dame that I can think of are just like super badass. And I feel like I like this for Elizabeth. Although she should be queen because Richard's the worst. So she looked around at who was around her and who were her allies and who could she use. And then she decided out of everybody in sort of like an enemy of my enemy is my ally sort of way. She decided to team up with a woman named Margaret Beaufort, who I love dearly. There are a lot of women named Margaret in this story. Margaret Beaufort she like almost died in childbirth age 12 she 
is the mother of the Tudor dynasty. She's a person I'm going to probably end up doing a three-hour episode about one day. She's also somebody who maybe, according to Philippa Gregory, is the one who killed the princess in the tower. Anyway, so Elizabeth and Margaret Beaufort had not been friends before, but now it's just kind of like, well, you know, I think we need to team up in this one instance. And so Elizabeth decided she was going to work with Margaret to get Margaret's son, Henry Tudor, to be the new king instead of evil Richard. So um, I'm not going to get into the family tree because this is just like, what was the other one that was so complex we did? I don't remember. But this is like, basically, they were like, let's get Margaret's son, Henry Tudor, to be the king. And let's marry him to Elizabeth's daughter, also named Elizabeth, because let's just make this more confusing. Her daughter, Elizabeth of York. So what would happen is that Margaret's daughter, Elizabeth, is from, like, the York side. Um, the Henry Tudor was, I guess, on the Lancaster side. Anyway, when they came together, it would stop. It would join York and Lancaster, and it would be a new team, team, the Tudors. And that's where the Tudors were going to come from. But also it helps because Margaret Beaufort's son, Henry Tudor, has, like, a tenuous claim to the throne in various ways I won't get into. But Elizabeth's daughter, also Elizabeth, has a much clearer way like as potentially to be the heir to the throne because she's the oldest surviving child of hot edward and elizabeth so anyway marrying these two two people together was just kind of like good for everybody and on their side to be like two families joining together unstoppable so richard was doing sort of like is happening now if you're keeping up with the britney spears story kind of like what Britney Spears' dad is doing where he's trying to be like, oh, I'm not a horrible villain. Like, these other people are worse than me, right? And it's like, no one believes you. So Richard was doing the same thing. He was trying to seem like less villainous. And so he swore a public oath that he wouldn't harm Elizabeth Woodville or her daughters. So Elizabeth and her daughters, because all her sons are dead now, they emerged from wherever they were hiding, not so Westminster Abbey, but somewhere, and they rejoined royal court pretending like they all didn't hate Richard and blame him for having murdered Lil Edward and Lil Richard. Uh, there is a rumor that I don't care for, but I can't not tell you because, again, uh, Philippa Gregory really leans into it, which is that Lil Elizabeth, so Elizabeth's daughter, Elizabeth of York, was in love with Richard, who was her uncle. And that's just like, I think it's been quite widely debunked that that didn't happen because this isn't like ancient Egypt and people were not marrying their uncles in this situation. But anyway, there's that rumor. I choose to not believe that one. But if you watch The White Queen slash The White Princess, that's one of the, it's like a love triangle. Anyway, so um, King Richard has a wife whose name is Anne Neville. And she died, and her story is sad. And maybe I'll do a podcast about her one day. And then Henry Tudor attacked. He defeated Richard at this famous thing called the Battle of Bosworth, which, like, people who are into making, like, miniatures and, like, recreating army fights, it's, like, a big thing for them. So Henry Tudor attacked. He won, and he became king. Oh, and then this is where he marries Elizabeth of York. So, like, they were... Elizabeth Woodville and Margaret Beaufort were like, let's marry our kids, but like, first, let's like kill Richard. Okay, now we'll marry our kids. So now the actual wedding happened. 
So when this marriage happened, Elizabeth Woodville was reinstated. She was no longer just Dame Elizabeth, but now she's Queen Dowager. So which made her marriage to Edward and her children legitimate again. And then after all this, she kind of just goes off the radar. There's not a lot known about her later years, which frankly, like again, to be like the Britney Spears of it all. Like I want for Elizabeth to just have some quiet time for contemplation, just like sit on a beach somewhere and just like chill like this is good for her and i hope that's what she got to do her version of this because i don't think beaches in like england are especially warm year-round she went to live at bermondsey abbey for the next five years we don't know why um she had been very religious her whole life so it's possible she decided to just like devote herself to religious contemplation which again her version of just like sitting on a beach uh but Counterpoint, there was a rebellion in 1487 in which she might have been involved and the king might have sent her to the nunnery as sort of like a punishment for her involvement. Who knows? She was just like at a nunnery for a bit and then she wasn't. So, and then she died on June 8th, 1492, aged 55 at Bermondsey Abbey, this place where she went. We don't know why. So in terms of significance, I'm not scoring her, but I'm just kind of like outlining it for myself. So this was the first English royal marriage that happened because of love and lust, not for political reasons. The first time the king like chose his own queen, not wasn't just given to her. And I have to think, so they their child, one of their children, was Elizabeth of York, who became the grandmother of Henry VIII. And if you just look at the Tudors, like this is where that family kind of starts. Like that's a thing that kept happening quite disastrously. So Henry VIII famously married for love and lust several times, all of which went badly. Uh, Mary and Margaret Tudor. So Henry VIII's sisters, both like all the secret sexy marriages, the Grey sisters. It's like, this was like the beginning of just the Tudors just making horrible slash exciting marriage decisions spontaneously like if you think about mary tudor didn't the same thing happen like she was married to the mary tudor henry's sister not his daughter she who i did the podcast about she was in france married the king the french king but then he died and then charles brandon came to bring her over and then they fell in love on the trip like this is just like i don't know if it's a reincarnation or just history repeating but so elizabeth woodville kind of established that precedent so after she died super young 55 i wish she had lived for like much longer she was buried in saint george's chapel at windsor castle alongside hot edward and across from the bodies commonly accepted to be those of their sons lil edward and lil richard and fun fact saint george's chapel at windsor castle is the same chapel in which numerous other royal marriages have been held for instance prince harry and Meghan markle got married there and I can't not mention the the similarities there, which is like a royal who marries for love to a commoner who's been married before. Um, and then a lot of people got mad at her and accused her of things. But the two of them loved each other a lot. And I like that sort of connection for them. So... That's Elizabeth Woodville. We're going to score her, obviously. 
So in terms of scandaliciousness, I feel like it's not like, again, like having just, if you listen to it, the Fredigan episodes, like no one's going to ever be Fredigan level consistent ongoing scandaliciousness for decades. But nor should everybody be. Because then what would scandalousness even mean if everybody was like that? But Elizabeth Woodville, like the secret sexy marriage. And then like that's that's the one major scandalousness moment of her life. And it's a pretty major one. But it is just one thing. But not to take away from her. So I think I'm going to give her a seven for scandalousness because it's just one thing, but it's quite a thing. And it led to an awful lot of fallout her scheminess i think is pretty good like she's not you know leading armies or whatever but she's just like this is happening okay we're gonna go to sanctuary okay i'm gonna team up with this person or that person like given the small amount of power she had as a widow um as a very pregnant woman as in all these situations like she really seemed to always choose the best path and maybe that was her witch power was divining what to choose for scheminess i think i'm gonna give her Maybe also a seven. Significance, I think, is very high. Everything I just outlined. So being the first English woman to marry the king. The fact that their marriage led to the culmination of the Wars of the Roses. Like the fact that she's the mother of the princess in the tower. Like she's the, like her lineage. Like often I just look at significance of like, well, who were their children and they become important. Like her grandson is Henry VIII. And then like Elizabeth the first it's like you know like this really changed English history so I think she gets a 10 for significance the sexism bonus is always a tricky one and this is where well I mean frankly I make up all these scores as I go I do not plan ahead and I don't remember what I scored anyone else so it's a very from the gut thing but the sexism bonus is always to look at people who from the point of view of like how much did that hold them back? Like what more could they have done if they weren't dealing with this rampant level of sexism? And so she did in terms of like the patriarchy, like the fact that once her husband died and he was on the wrong side, like she became homeless and bankrupt. And then the fact that Richard was able to take over because women didn't have power, like, yes, that all sucks. And she... I don't know. It was. It didn't really. Mm, it's tricky. I'm gonna give her a seven for sexism as well. So what does that add up to? That's a thirty-one. That's. I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with that. So in terms of the list of everybody, like, and that's the thing. Like, it all adds up. Like, she had this scandal. She had the scheminess. But, like, the significance is what really took her over the edge here. So other people with a 31. Sophia Dorothea of Sella. Um, Agrippina from ancient Rome has a 31. She is one point above Empress Matilda. One point above Juana I of Castile. Like, I feel like I've, I'm comfortable with this placement for her. But also, it's my podcast. And I decide these things. So... That is the first of three super special Halloween episodes we're going to be doing. So tune in. I mean, well, check your feed the next couple of weeks. There's going to be more uh, witch type discussion. There's going to be some monster type discussion. It's 
it's Halloween and I can't not lean into that. So the regular reminders, the books that I mentioned on this episode and other episodes, they're all listed in various lists at the Vulgar History Shop on bookshop.org. The great thing about using bookshop.org, this is not an ad, this is just me telling you information, is because they send a percentage of their money to independent bookstores and it's my preferred site for getting books and also that's where my lists live so if you go to bookshop.org shop slash vulgar history you can find the books i've mentioned here you can also buy other books anything you buy there a small percentage goes to me to support this show i've also got my cool new url for the store vulgarhistory.store like vulgarhistory.store is where we have all of our tits out merch fredagun merch that sort of stuff t-shirts stickers other things and you can use code tits out for free us shipping or code tits out 10 tits out one zero for 10 percent off if you're not in the u.s if you want to support this little podcast i'm at patreon.com slash ann foster writer and that's where you can pledge various amounts from one dollar to five dollars and you get various different things the people who pledge five dollars get the monthly special episodes the so this asshole episodes where I talk about men who I hate. And after doing this, I feel like Richard III would be a good one to do for that. So stay tuned. And you can follow the show on Instagram at Vulgar History Pod and on Twitter at Vulgar History. My name is Ann Foster. I hope you're having an okay time of life in the ongoing pandemic, which seems to comprise the entire podcast that is this show and keep your mask on Ooh, cute halloween mask maybe and your tits out and i'll talk to you next time Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.